man and his wife were enjoying a glass of wine one day after work, and they were sitting on their deck. The woman said, I love you, and I don't think I could ever live without you. The husband said, is that you or the wine talking? The woman said, it's me, and I'm talking to the wine. I love that story because that woman was passionate about wine. What's a fun question to ask is what you're passionate about. What do you love? Not just what you love, but think about why we call the passion of Christ the passion of Christ. I don't think he loved being on the cross. In fact, he prayed, Lord, take this cup from me, if at all possible, but I'll do whatever you want. Passion isn't just what you love. It is. But passion is also what you're willing to suffer for. You love something so much, you're willing to suffer for it. Friends, what are you passionate about today? What are you really passionate about today? Because we're in church and you're tempted to lie. Because in church you always say, God, Jesus, the Bible, my family. Right? That's what you're going to say if you're in church. But you're tempted to lie because you're here. But how do we know what we're really passionate about? I call them the three C's. The three C's. You look at anybody's three C's, and I don't care what they tell you, these will tell you what you're really passionate about. The first C is your conversations. Not the, all the conversations you've got to have. My wife and I have seven kids. That's not bragging. That's a prayer request. You pray for them right now, all right? She's with me. i got my five-year-old with me. Yes, this old dog has a five-year-old. Thank you very much. We did not see that coming either. I'm telling you, it was awesome. But I want you to hear this, right? Your conversations. My wife and I have about 85% of our conversations. Who's picking up who and what's the next thing on the schedule? Not those conversations. I'm talking about the conversations when you are sitting on the deck or you are driving down the road and you've exhausted all the management of life. Then what do you get to talk about? That, that, my friends, is what you love. Because from the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. The second C I would call your checkbook. Oh, my goodness, I've been here less than three minutes. I'm talking about the checkbook already. Here we go, right? The checkbook. You show me what you love to spend money on. Again, we all have so many things we have to care for. I'm talking about that discretionary income. Your first and your best. Think about it for a moment, right? What does that say about what you love? You show me what you spend money on. I'll show you what you deeply care about. And then the last C is probably the biggest indicator. Your calendar. Your calendar. There are at least 50 things you could have done besides be here right now. Seriously. You could have opted out not to be here today, but you chose to be here. You put it in your calendar or just part of your life, whatever, but you make it an important part of your life. You put those three C's together, and I will show you what you really are passionate about. Now, that's a question you ought to have over lunch. All right? Here's the question I want you to write down right now for family discussion. What do our three C's tell us about what we're passionate about. Not what our mouths tell us what we're passionate about, because we always say the right thing in the right context. What do they really say you're passionate about? And as fun as a question that is, you know what the problem with it? That's a fundamentally flawed question, because 
it actually assumes that our life is about us. If I understand the Scriptures right on this, 1 Corinthians says, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, it isn't about what you want. It's about what God wants. Glorify God in your body. There is this weird kind of Christianity in this country. It's a perverted kind of Christianity in which we say, Jesus, I, want, I don't want to go to hell. I'm just going to put you in my little pocket here. You're my little get-out-of-hell-free card. And then I get to do whatever I want. I'm going to ask you to bless my plans. Most of us spend our lives doing what we want, even as followers of Jesus, because we're not really followers of Jesus. We follow us. And most of us do what we want in the name of Jesus and asking God to bless us. Friends, stop it. If you're a follower of Jesus, think about what it means to be a follower. You don't follow you. You've got to follow Jesus. And he gets to tell you stuff. Because he's king. We just sang the song. He's king. He's my, no, it was even better than that. That song was awesome. He's my king. That's what that song said. He's my king. That means I'm dethroned. Right? I'm dethroned. So I want you to think about it. We are, just even the way we ask questions, it always puts us in charge. Well, the question that I want to entertain with you today is this. Not what kind of life do you want to have? But what life does God want you to have? Not what are you passionate about. Those are fun conversations. But the question is this, friends. Have you ever wondered this? What does God want me to be passionate about? I have great news for you. He couldn't have left. He he left us with no uncertain terms about what that is. Open up your Bibles to the book of Mark. The book of Mark. That would be like Matthew, Mark, that one. All right? Chapter 12. Chapter 12. Chapter 12 is the last week of Jesus' life. He is on, he's either in Jerusalem, on his way to Jerusalem. It's the last week of his life. He has lived three and a half years, and they want to kill him. Who's they? Religious people. Beware of religious people. They want to kill God. And they're trying to get him to say stuff that he shouldn't say, and so they can twist it. They desperately want to kill him. And they've got all these religious attacks, and they've got all these different um, you know, political questions, all these different things they're trying to capture him in. And so Jesus, listen, just a little, little hint here, to, a little word to the wise. Never get into a theological debate with Jesus. He's a ninja. He'll cut you off at the legs. He'll just leave you there, teaching you a lesson. That's Jesus, right? And they, they, these foolish, educated people, they just keep attacking Jesus, and Jesus just, yo, yo, yo. And then, then a group comes up to him, and they're teachers of the law. Look at verse 28. The teachers of the law came up to him, and they said, and they, and they noticed that he had been in debating. By the way, oh my goodness, can we get back to debating? Attacking ideas, not people. We have lost the art of debate. You've seen this on Facebook. You're stupid. Well, you're dumb. And da 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 da. I'm being nice because it actually gets worse than that, right? Right. And these are our people that we know who are trying to follow Jesus, right? This is right. seriously. We need to, listen. We need a robust debate, but we need one intelligent and kind-hearted way, like Jesus. Jesus is not a pushover, but he never lets you live in a lie. He's going to tell you, tell you the truth, and he's going to love you at the same time. We've got to figure out how to get more like Jesus on this. And here he is debating these people, and these, these scribes and these, these teachers of the law come up to him, and they ask him this question. I love this question. 
Love, love, love this question. Of all the commands, look what it says in verse 20. Of all the commands, which one is the most important? What a loaded question. Did you know that Jesus asked 307 questions? Did you know that he was asked 186 questions? And did you know that he only answers about eight of them? (laughs) Every time Jesus is asked a question, he answers a question. Jesus would drive you nuts. He would answer a question back. The reason he does this is because he knows, listen, we need to learn this. He knows that by answering the question, it doesn't solve it for you. But if he asks you a question and you think it through, it will solve it for you. Do you understand the difference? That's what Jesus was doing. He was trying to get you to get it rather than just give it to you. Because when you're given something, you don't appreciate it. When you work for it, you, get, you understand it. That's Jesus, right? So you, how many of you are parents? Raise your hands. Yeah. My kids say, Dad, can I go to the movie? Why do you ask? Don't you want to know that? Are they meeting their boyfriend there? I want to know that. I want to know that. So seriously, answer a question. This is what Jesus does. But that in this particular case, this is the one that he actually answers, one of the eight. He says, of all the commands, which one is the most important one? And then watch this. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Shema Israel, Adonai Elheinu, Adonai Echad. That's exactly how they would have heard it, because that's Hebrew for hero Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is the one and only. That's how they would have heard it, though. Shema Israel, Adonai Elheinu, Adonai Echad. And immediately, every person within the sound of Jesus' voice would have recognized this as an Old Testament passage. Look at how, who, who has a, like a real paper Bible here today? A real paper. <laughs> Who's got the old school paper? Put your Bibles in the air like you really, really can. Oh, six of us. Okay, very. Well, oh, there's a, like a movement over here of the paper Bibles. Awesome. Where, how many of you are on phones? Where's your phones at? You got your phones. Oh, my goodness. If the Antichrist takes over the world, change it on the Internet, you'll never know. See, that's, what, that's why you're in trouble there, right? It took 2,000 years, but we finally have gotten back to scrolling through the Scriptures, haven't we? People, it doesn't, it's not going to get any funnier than this, so just laugh. <laughs> this is so fascinating because uh, here's Jesus. Do you have a footnote on this, Hero Israel? What's the footnote say? What book of the Bible? Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now, I want you to hear this. Deuteronomy chapter 6 was a part of three different passages in the Old Testament that Jewish people recited morning and evening every day of their lives. When a Jewish baby was born, guess what were the first words the rabbi would take that newborn baby, and the rabbi would pull that baby, that baby is not even cleaned off yet, and that baby would be right up here, and the first words a rabbi would say is, Shema Israel, Adonai Elohim. The first words in that baby's ear was this because this was their mission statement Deuteronomy chapter 6 and the Jewish so I want you to think about this here's the most sophisticated religious educated people and they're attacking Jesus with all these things and they're like it'd be like this what's the greatest song ever written and Jesus says Jesus loves me this I know you're like well duh you've known this since you were in kindergarten Stop being so crazy and obnoxious. It's the greatest song ever written, right? And Jesus is saying, you want to know the greatest command? You've known. This is the first words you heard. You grew up with this. You say it morning and evening every day. And it's right underneath. It's it's so obvious it's not obvious. And that's the problem, isn't it? 
they, they, they said, okay, well, tell us the most wonderful. He said, Shema Israel, Adonai Heinu, Adonai Echad. And then he goes on to quote the rest of Deuteronomy there. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength. And they're like, yes, 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 we already do that. If you ask a Pharisee or a teacher of the law, do they love God? They say, yes, of course, I tithe. I go to church. I never miss church. I'm involved. I serve. I'm zealous for the law. I've been circumcised as a young boy. I mean, all these different things they would just lay out as their grandiose plans. But you know what? You can be religious and miss Jesus. And that's exactly what happened. How can you know the Bible so well and miss God? It's possible. Jesus says, you've got to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then Jesus does something that I don't know if we understand here as Western people. Jesus has this, in, in Jesus' day, there was about a thousand rabbis traveling the country. Jesus was one, but he's the rabbi of all rabbis, right? Jesus, now watch, Jesus says, he does this thing called stringing pearls. He's, you ask a question, he answers with, a, with an answer you know. You know what the most important one is? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And everybody in the crowd goes, yep, yep, that's good so far. And that's why Jesus says, look at your, look at your text, the second, he knew they were asking about the second one. Because what you do is you, you start with a passage of Scripture, and then you use another passage of Scripture to explain what the first passage of Scripture means. That's what, the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. So Jesus says, love God with everything you have, heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then he says, if you want to know what that looks like, and then he does something that they, was not a part of the Shema. He's new. He's got a new idea. He holds that in one hand, and he reaches over to Leviticus 19.18. And he says, and if you really want to know what it means to love God, love your neighbor as your Self. Let me ask you a question. Which of those two do you really like? Love God or love people? How many of you really love the love God part? How many of you have somebody in your life that's driving you nuts right now? How many of you are sitting next to that person? No, 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 no. I think you get the idea, right? The idea here, it's easy to say we love God. But the challenge is, Jesus says, if you love God, you love people. Paul, Paul's so crazy. Uh, he, he writes all these, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your love for God, and your love for all the saints. I like most of the saints. I have room to grow. Right? But I want you to hear this. Love has no bounds. It doesn't look at color. It doesn't look at socioeconomic backgrounds. We have lived in, we have, the reason we have lost the debate in culture, my opinion, is because we've let someone else frame the debate. And the way they've framed, they frame the debate is that they put everybody in a category. I have one great big category. For God so loved the world. And when we stop looking at people like categories and looking at them like people Jesus loves, it doesn't really matter what they look like, what language they talk, or whatever else. So I just want to encourage you for a moment to go in deep for a moment because it's easy to love those who love you. But Jesus says, sinners do that. The pagans do that. Anybody can love someone who loves them. The challenge is to love God so much that it breaks you out of your normal bounds. And you love people 
you would not otherwise love. Not because they're lovely, but because you love God and he fills you up. That, my friends, is what God wants you to be passionate about. He couldn't be more clear about it. In fact, he says at the end of Mark here, he says, there is no command greater than these. There is no command greater than these. In fact, in Matthew 22, in the same story, he's recorded as saying, the whole Old Testament, the law and the prophets, hang on these two words. Jesus thinks the whole Old Testament's about loving God, loving people. Think about that the next time you read Leviticus. Because it's germane. Because there's chapters in there on how to relate to God rightly, and there's chapters in there on how to relate to people rightly. It is about loving God, loving people. Listen, you miss loving God, loving people, I don't care how much you give. I don't care how religious you are. I don't care how much you speak in tongues. I don't care how much you heal. I don't care how much you serve. I don't care how often you're in church. You have missed, you have, you have become religious, and you have missed what Jesus calls the very bullseye that you and I are to be excited about. question is this. What would ever make us want to love God? You think about that? We don't, listen, I got seven kids. They all have their mother's sin nature. It's unbelievable. She's out there right now waving to me. Yes, and mites in nature, right? I mean, so they got her both. And here's the deal. What do, what, does, what do all of us, what's the curse of all of us? It is we think of ourselves, ourselves, right? And then we try to just kind of layer Jesus on as the frosting, right? This is huge. So important because I don't think we're born loving God. I think we're born loving ourselves, D.L. Moody was once asked, out of all the people that give you trouble, who gives you the most trouble? And D.L. Moody rightly said, of all the people, D.L. Moody has given me more trouble than any other man. Right? That's all of us. Right? So, but what would ever want us to want to make us change? What would ever change us to quit loving ourselves? I got news for you. Would you just flip over quickly to John, 1 John 4. 1 John 4, 19. You know this but let's apply it. I'll start it. You end it. You ready? We love because... Oh, yeah. Now, 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 don't be American. Be Jewish for a moment. We love because... You got to go louder if you're Jewish people. You got to. You seriously. You, you, you believe this. We love because... Very good. He did, right? Where would you be right now? Listen to me. Where would you be right now apart from the intervention of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life? I wouldn't be in a church, I'll tell you that, because I didn't grow up in a church. When I go to my family reunion, I can hug more felons in one day than most of you can in a lifetime. That's just the way it rolls, right? And I ain't joking about that. I love Jesus today because he took the first step toward me. He saw that I was lost, and he took the first step toward me, even though I didn't know anything about him. I come, listen. I was born and raised in a project, so it wasn't that, I mean, it's not dysfunctional to be poor, uh, but it, it, we were dysfunctional. Didn't, I know, by the way, I know a lot of people who are, have wealthy, and they're very dysfunctional too. So this dysfunction, right? My mom and dad divorced when I was three. Um, my, my, uh, my mom was a bartender. She turned around, and we lived in that housing project, and she became a bartender, and uh, she married a guy who abused her as well. And so I grew up in a very violent situation. Uh, very, very classic poverty, classic doomed to repeat it all. It happened in generations in my life. I was doomed to repeat it all. But you know what happened? On my way to self-destruction, God rudely interrupted me with a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And you know what happened? It was at that tavern. My mother was working at that tavern. She had a friend who was also a single mom divorced. They were both partying. They were both having a great time. They were doing all that stuff, rolling around like a couple of pigs in the mud with all their sin. And you know what? She, the, one of her friends, Jerry, had a, a vacation, but she didn't have any money. So she, she called her sister who lived out of state, and she said, Can I, I don't have any money. we got these kids. i got two weeks off. I'd like to get away from this. Do you think you can have us? And the sister said, come on over and stay with me for two weeks because something great has happened in my life. <laughs> I think you know where this story is going. And what happens? She gets there. Jerry gets there with her kids. And about the day afterwards, the sister starts opening up the Bible, telling her about what Jesus Christ can do for her. And Jerry was like, oh, my goodness, I'm stuck here for two weeks. But by about the third day, she accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And then she began to read through the Gospels, the Gospel of John. And when she came back in two weeks, she walked into that tavern, and she announced to everybody, I quit. And they said, well, what would you do, go on vacation and find another job? And she said, no, I, don't, I'm, I didn't find another job. I found what I was looking for, though. And they said, well, what? I, found every, I tried to find it in men. I tried to find it in alcohol. I tried to find it in partying. I tried to find it in a lot of things, but I finally found it in a relationship with Jesus. And they said, you, are you drunk this early in the morning? Remember in the book of Acts? Are you drunk this early in the morning? And she said, no. She said, I'm serious about it. And I quit. And they said, well, you can't quit. You've got to give it two weeks' notice. She said, okay, but every time somebody asks me why I'm leaving, I'm telling them about Jesus. And for two weeks, that tavern became a ministry center run by the Reverend Jerry. And she told everybody about Jesus, including my mom. And she finally wore my mom. She would, my mom didn't want anything to do with her. People love darkness rather than the light, don't they? My mom didn't want anything to do with her. And you know what? In that little housing project we were in, one day we heard a car pulling. My mom was washing dishes. He was probably hung over because we always were. And she, she looked out that window and she cussed. She didn't usually cuss, though, in the morning. And we were kind of concerned as kids. And she, I said, what's wrong? And she said, Oh, my goodness, the preacher Jerry's coming to get us. And so he's closed all the windows and locked all the doors. And about every two or three days, she would pull in, and we would lock, we would hide in there, you know, and we, she would she'd knock on the door and then leave because we wouldn't answer. Can I just say something? For 38 years, I've been doing pastoral calls, and I want to say something to all of you right now. We know you're in there. <laughs> Do we not? We know you're in there. And sure enough, one day Jerry got to the door before my mom could close it. We weren't looking. And my mom said, on the way to the door, she said, I'm so sick of this woman preaching as she just wants to tell us about Jesus. So I'm just going to let her in, hear what she has to say, and then ask her to leave and never come back. So Jerry came in. They sat down at our kitchen table. My mom poured coffee. That black book went open. How real can I keep it today? Can I keep it real? Jerry and my mom smoked cigarettes, and the smoking evangelist shared the gospel with my mom, and my mom received Jesus Christ as her Savior, and that was the beginning of the end for me. Because I ain't going to taverns anymore, I'm going to church. That's where I was going, right? And it was just a matter of time. It was just a matter of time before Jesus would get a hold of me. But listen, you know what it was? My mom took me to church and said, I don't want any part of it. And I was like, I'm just going to start, I was in a young high school kid, I was going to start partying, I was partying already, I was, doing all, I was doing all the stuff that I was doomed to repeat. And guess what happened? My mom whipped out the big guns. Oh my goodness, I didn't know this till later. She started praying for me. She knew I wasn't listening to her. And you know what I want to tell you? Your mom's praying for you today? Oh my goodness, you just need to receive Jesus right now. Your grandma's praying for you. Holy cow, that's your grandma there and God right there. That's how they walk right there. And they, and God listens to grannies, man. You just need to receive Jesus right now. I mean, right now. 
You don't even want to leave here because God listens to grandmas and moms. And I'm here as a product of that. And you know what I have found the joy of? What it means to really hit the bullseye of loving God and loving people. Followers, this is how it works. In that story I just told you, who was loving? Jerry's sister. Jerry's sister said, come, you crazy, broken alcoholic, and stay with me for a couple of weeks. Jerry, who had only known Christ for a couple of weeks. Jerry loved God and immediately loved people and wanted other people to have. Nobody gave her an evangelism class. Nobody equipped her. You know what she did? She got saved. The Holy Spirit filled her life, and it had to come out some way. And that's what happens. You, it's not that you have to tell people about Jesus. You want to. People didn't even tell her. She wanted to. So how's your love for God and people? This, it's a simple life. And you might be tempted to write it off because it's a very clear and simple command. Love God and love people. But here's my challenge to you. You're going to walk out of here, and everything in life is going to pull you off it. Sometimes I preach this message, and I get mad at somebody in the parking lot. It didn't last very long, obviously. Right? So what I want you to think about is how can we keep it on center? I'm going to share a prayer. This is the last thing I'm going to do with you, and I look forward to being with the Sunday school teachers and the children's people. But if you would put that prayer up, please, Stephanie. Thank you so much. If you can take a picture of this, I ran out of cards yesterday. I had a bunch of these cards, and I ran out of cards yesterday. This is, is kind of like my Shema. It's kind of something that I pray as a way to keep myself centered on the most important thing. Let me walk through it, and uh, you can take a picture of it if you'd like. Um, it says, Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. By the way, see those seven passages of Scripture at the top? This prayer is found, it comes from those seven passages of Scripture. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. Thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. Now watch. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you. Does this sound familiar? And love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Not only my family. God's will is bigger than my family. Starting with my family. But we start there, right? And it says, don't let me miss the adventures. That's what I think a love God, love people, make disciples way of life is. is. It's an adventure. Don't let me miss the adventures you're sending my way to live and speak the good news about Jesus today. Now watch. Draw my heart close to you, Lord, and to the people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. When Jerry said to my mom, I'm going to keep coming over and I'm going to try to share Christ with you, they're friends to this day. Last month I preached in their little church, and we got a picture of the three of us. Three generations of disciple-making. Jerry shared the gospel with my mom. My mom shared the gospel with me, and I'm going to tell everybody I meet. I think Jerry and my mom are changing the world for God's glory through me for his glory. That's how it rolls, right? By your word and spirit, because it's never self-help. It's always by God's mighty word and God's Holy Spirit. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus. Transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, loves people, 
and makes disciples. Who make more disciples? And then there's this Latin phrase, ad infinitum, which means to infinity and beyond. It means over and over again till the whole world knows. And then we pray, of course, in Jesus' name. I'm going to to ask you to pray this with me. And then um, I think we're going to have a moment in which you can respond. They're going to play a worship song. And then our pastor, Mark, is going to close us out. And what you can figure out how you guys do that, all right? But I want to give a chance to respond to everybody. And what would this response be? Two things. If you don't know Christ as your Savior and you would like to know Christ as your Savior, man, there's a lot of people here that would like to help you. If you do know Christ as your Savior, but you find yourself that you're living about what you want rather than what God wants, and you'd like to live a love God, love people way of life like in this prayer, that's also a chance for you to respond to that as well. So you respond as the Spirit tugs on your heart. All right? Would you pray this with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. Don't let me miss the adventures you are sending my way to live and speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw my heart to you and to specific people you want me to pull close for Jesus-like, disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves you, loves people, and makes disciples, who make more disciples, ad infinitum, in Jesus' name. Amen.